Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpin' Radio. This week, we discussed the rise of the far right in Europe, learned about basket weaving, and celebrated a day in the country. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for August 28, 2020. Mario Smith chatted with our own Sir Lawrence Peters about his long-running A Day in the Country Festival. This year's edition at the Hideout will be virtual. Peters discussed running a major event during the pandemic, how important music festivals are to Chicago, and what is next for the city's music industry. News from the Service Entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday at 2. Sir Lawrence Peters. Hello, sir. Mario, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Man, look. Hi, buddy. <laughs> it's the least I can do. It's the least I can do. Before we before we talk about this this uh, wonderful adventure that you're on, um, how's the band going in the middle of all this COVID stuff? Well, it's been a little weird. Um, <clears throat> say the least. Uh, say the least. So we uh, we had to record pre-record our set for the upcoming um, uh, country country event this uh, Sunday. Um, other than that, we haven't had anything. And then finally, we are getting a couple things. There's some folks that are doing actually for real safe public performances. So we're going to perform at, uh, let's see, my uh, guitar player and I are going to play at Blue Island uh, Beer Company on the nice. 5th, 5th of nice. September. And then the 27th, I think it is, of September, where the whole band is playing at Fitzgerald's. And they both have like big outdoor spaces and they're really setting down the law about how that's all going to work. So we finally. Please say hi to my man, Willie D, Mr. Will Duncan, when you get to Fitzgerald's. That's the man, the new owner of Fitzgerald's. Great man. Please tell him Mario said hello. He's going to be like, you know, Mario, he will (laughs) flip his wig. in the middle of all the COVID things that are happening and, and everything with the venues here in Chicago and whatnot, I'm curious as to how you see this developing because, unfortunately, <clears throat> what's going to end up happening is a lot of these places are going to have to close or at least shut down for a lot longer than they intended. What What's your opinion about the, the state of the music venue in Chicago? Oh, it's pretty rough. Yeah, um, I'm actually surprised that more places haven't closed. We've only lost a few so far and uh i mean i feel like like the majority of music venues and bars are probably operating at least somewhat on the margin or were anyway so it doesn't take much to topple that kind of thing um yeah it's i i feel like folks are kind of holding on by a string right now but come winter uh i think i think a lot of places are going to shutter it could be a long winter man Mm mm-hmm this is a this is a very you know very interesting uh, interesting time, and I, it also kind of struck me particularly for a band like yours. Um, before we go on to, to talk about ADITC, um, a band like yours, the, the, a, anybody's band, particularly in a city like Chicago, exposure is everything, yeah. and if if your exposure is limited to online stuff. You can't make any money because you can't do shows. Right. Uh, you, you, you can't make money because you can't do shows, and you can't make money because you can't do shows. And yeah. that's, that's 99% of everybody's working band's life is being able to tour. Mm-hmm. And if you can't even do a show in your own town, that's got to be yeah. harrowing. I mean, you know, we, I, 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 even with a show like, even with our shows here on Lumpin', mm-hmm. 
not being able to be in our familiar studios to do our shows the regular way we do them mm-hmm. gets to be a little taxing, right? But yeah, you know, I'm 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 like you, man. I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Nothing else. I'm 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 uh, I'm hoping that we can work this out. But tell me now, since we we are here on the subject, A D I T C, a day in the country. Okay, there we go. Yeah. There we go. So this is the 13th year, and it's usually the third weekend of June. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, it just was clear that there was no way that was going to happen. So it looked like it was going to be canceled, and the hideout was like, well, you know, we're doing a lot of streaming stuff. It's kind of the way of the future. Why don't you give that a try? So we moved the date to uh, August 30th, and um, and I contacted all the bands that were originally set for the date, and... Uh, all but one of them actually was able to do it, and the idea was, um, I wanted, I wanted to make sure that people felt comfortable enough or could think of a good way to have at least a, a somewhat inclusive band experience, rather than just like uh, you know, twelve or thirteen solar performers in a row, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what's what we've gotten used to, and it's it's fine and it's what we've got, but it's exhausting because it's just like it's not the same same thing as like a full band like you lose this whole spectrum of sound and experience and connection or whatever so um yeah they were uh, almost everybody was able to figure out a way to feel comfortable and getting together um some of them did it uh via i think it's acapella it's it's an app that allows you to it's like you have frames and everybody I, i don't know if you like build the song well, starting with one person, and everybody adds their parts, and it becomes like a coherent video. I don't really know how it works, but I think a couple <laughs> people, a couple people did that, and that's pretty cool. And then, then um, some folks uh, figured out how to how to get together and and all fit within the frame of a of, an, of a smartphone or a laptop or whatever, and still hear each other and stay six feet apart. So that worked out pretty good. A couple of bands performed with masks, recorded with masks. Um, it's been very interesting to see the videos as they've been coming in because mm. they're all very, very like very different levels of sound quality and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and other and, and bells and whistles like I don't know uh, aesthetics and you know background yeah. and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's, it's way of the future. So day in the country and and how can folks go and check it out again? So it is uh, it's going to be live streaming on the hideouts channel which so you just go to hideout hideoutchicago.com and uh it's a day in the country you just click on that link and it'll take you right there it's currently they're broadcasting or uh, streaming through facebook but they're going to have their own platform come september so i'll be one of the last shows to do this facebook thing and you know the hideout is one of my favorite spots man That's, yeah that has always been one of my favorite places in the world let me tell you though how long it had been since I went, the last time I was at the hideout, before this last time to see Junius Paul and his quartet debut their album, oh, yeah. there was a fleet of garbage trucks across the street from the hideout. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, you know, I can't wait for the day to come when those garbage trucks are not just out in front of the hideout. And then I went to go see Junie, and I looked across the street, and I'm like, oh, my God. God, what, where are the garbage trucks? I need those garbage trucks. That's a bad wish, Mario. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. I hate it. It, it wasn't a... <laughs> It's your fault, Mario. It's your fault. Yeah, I'm. I'm the Obama of wishing for garbage trucks to disappear. It's my fault. <laughs> hey, uh, Lawrence, I wanted to ask you real quick. I mean, 
Obviously, so many of these venues in Chicago are, are struggling, including the ones that employ, you know, all of us, all of us on this show, our service workers, actually. Um, yeah. Was it economically feasible to do a virtual day in the country? I mean, are you guys hoping you can make enough from the virtual tip jar to be able to, you know, give the band some money and, and all that? Or was this just, you know we know we're going to take a loss on it, but we want to do this because we think it's the right thing. I guess, I guess I'm trying to figure out, you know, how viable is this going forward if we're in a, you know, a long-term situation where people can't go to a place like the hideout? Um, well, so going into this, the, the attitude was very much from everybody. They were just like, we want to play. So, you know, all the bands are desperate to get out in front of people and to get together and to make music. And so, um, that didn't seem like a concern. Nobody was like, "How much? How? What are, what are we getting? What's our split?" None of that stuff. The only, the only uh, costs going in were, uh, I re really wanted to make posters. Um, not only because, you know, we've had a, a a nice run of Ryan Dugan posters for the last several years, um, and there's been a poster for every year from the very beginning, and I didn't want to end that, even though it's a virtual thing. Um, and I wanted to be able to give my poster guy a little money because that guy's amazing. And he's of course lost all his clients. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> so I, that was a little bit of a concern. And then the big headliner is, um, Caleb Plowder and Reeb Wilms. They're, they're out of the Pacific Northwest. And, um, when I contacted them, they were like, so I was like, well, what do you, what would you need to do a virtual performance of like 40 minutes or so? And they were like, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, like we've done, Everything else has been like like there was a, like a small guarantee for some place, but most of it's been like tips and percentage of ticket sales and that kind of thing. So um, I reached out to the people on my email list and was like, hey, we're going to do these little micro sponsorships because sponsorship is sort of a thing out the window now, too, because, you know, all the people that had them, <laughs> all the like the brewery that I was getting the most money from and the other places, they're like, you know, they're all strapped to and not really doing stuff. Um, so I reached out to folks and, and I got almost enough to cover, I got enough to cover the posters and almost enough to cover the, the, uh, guarantee for the, the headliner. So, so now it's just gravy sort of, <laughs> um, I mean, basically, cause it's, it's basically like, you kind of have to do it as a, um, a free, but you know, pay what you will, you know, do tips. I mean, they did offer tickets ahead of time, uh, so that people could step up and be like, I really want to make sure that there's money going to this thing. Right. But I will, I won't know until the end of it, how that goes. Cause I think a lot of the, if there is any income, it'll be from the, the tips during the performance. Yeah. yeah. So then the hideout will get a little, a little sliver of that, which is great. And I think that everybody understands that. And then the rest of it, will just divide up between the bands after we've given the money to the, the headliner. Yeah. So, it's it's triage. You know? Yeah, it it also sounds like a, like if it if it goes if it which it will go off without a hitch. It should be a very interesting event to be able to get music from all around the around the country and whatnot, and and in its own weird Westworldian way to get people together to enjoy some good music. I hate this. I cannot wait until everybody oh, figures buddy. this out, man, so we can actually see each other and go yeah, out and dude. enjoy shows again. Yeah, no kidding. Well, let me let me say to the um, the virtual thing, like, I, that is not something I ever expected to be doing, really. I mean, I, occasionally I've recorded shows, but we've never, like, or rarely have I live-streamed anything, and it's usually been somebody else doing it. Um, 
But I will say this, like, even if things do, even if we do completely get this thing conquered at some point and we're able to be cool again or whatever, um, I think it's going to be continue to be a, uh, a regular part of, of performances because, I mean, the thing that we all discovered was, oh, well, crap, everybody, you know, there, there are people all across the world, if they get wind of this thing and just happen to like what we're doing or whatever, I mean, you can you can actually be seen by, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of people that would not see you otherwise. So you can True. you can be performing to your to ten people at, at a, you know in a backyard, but then have all your family and old college friends or whatever tuning in from where the hell they, ever they are. So that's pretty amazing. So no I'll doubt. definitely be, I'll be incorporating that for sure. Definitely, there's no doubt about it. So there's a silver Wait. lining. Yes, there is a silver lining. <laughs> Oh, baby. 
Chuck Mertz spoke to David Broder on how the far right conquered Italy again. Tracing a line from Mussolini to Silvia Berlusconi, Broder talked about how populists used major cities such as Rome and the major sports team connected with them to win hearts and minds. This is Hell airs every Sunday at 10 a.m. Why does Italy so often look to others as their model for their present and future? What don't, why don't they look for answers internally or from corrections to their past mistakes? What does that reveal to you about Italy when they look elsewhere instead of looking internally? Well, I think there's a, a very long tradition of uh, Italian elites who seek to um, impose some sort of foreign model which they think will uh, be able to reform and regenerate Italian society, essentially carrying through a kind of revolution from above. Uh, and this was an idea even at the moment of national unification in the 1860s. Uh, and, you know, the kind of uh, the collecting together of a bunch of small and backward monarchies and basically the idea of you know, creating a creating a, 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 a new state from above. And in that moment, uh, Germany was going through pretty much the same process, but was far more advanced, far more industrialized. So even then there was this idea that basically what Italy needed to do was follow uh, the the German uh, example. And the book you mentioned is, uh, is called Germanization. And, and basically kind of in the early 90s, uh, this this idea really really gained strength um, in in Italy. Basically, that if uh, you know Italy took part in uh, uh, European integration, and common rules were imposed from Brussels on all of the member states, then this would basically end up making Italy like Germany because uh, it would it would be subject to the same kind of um, the same kind of fiscal rules, uh, you know, budget balancing and so on, uh, the same uh, common European economic policy uh, and so on. Uh, and also the idea was that this would you know, clean up public life and end corruption and basically solve all manner of kind of cultural ills. Um, so this is a, a very kind of elitist discourse. Often, often really it's a kind of expression of like basically sort of posh and uh, uh, sort of internationally facing Italians think that they're better than the masses and that uh, if only they could copy some foreign example, that would make everything better. Uh, of course, what I really uh, argue in my book is that more or less the opposite process is actually true, which is that rather than Italy being sort of backward and stuck in the past and needing to reform to catch up with modern and successful and industrialized economies and so on, uh, that actually what's happening in Italy is a bit of a, what, well, in England we say a kind of canary in the coal mine, uh, that basically what has happened in Italian politics, Italian public life in the last 30 years is actually an accelerated and concentrated version of, of the kind of developments which are taking place everywhere. Uh, and those are you know, basically negative lessons. Uh, so, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, an obvious comparison would be the the rise of Berlusconi in the early 1990s, uh, bringing sort of far right forces into government, uh, and the breakdown of the party system, uh, the perpetual economic stagnation. So, if you look at those kind of things, there's obvious parallels to what's happening in other uh, supposedly more successful countries today.
Do you think that the same, is, is this a fair comparison? Here in the United States, we often look toward Canada for healthcare solution problems, or we look toward Scandinavia for fixes to our social safety net. Do you see the same kind of thing playing out here in the United States? Does this reflect bankrupt domestic policies or an inaccessibility or unavailability of alternative politics within the United States, as may have been the case within Italy as well? Mm. Um, well, I mean, I, I think part of the, uh, you know, I mean, of course, every every country that, that you know, or every political culture that looks to foreign examples will also see those examples through its own kind of experience. So maybe, you know, in the United States, you look positively at the, say, the Canadian or like Scandinavian healthcare system, and it's kind of easy to idealize uh, what those countries are actually like. Um, I think the problem in in Italy, it's like the very thing that this kind of, uh, if you want to call it kind of elite discourse, uh, what it's actually aiming to do is is not import higher welfare standards or better hospitals or this kind of thing from other countries uh, and in fact it, it often ignores many of the things in Italy which are really good so you know um, the coronavirus hit Italy before any other western country and when that initially started happening there were lots of these kind of cultural explanations and this is very typical of Italian media but also foreign media looking at Italy is that they see everything through this prism of backwardness and incompetence and bad organization and so on. And, and you know, so like in, in, in Britain, for example, Boris Johnson was saying, well, we don't want to end up like the Italians with their messy chaos uh, in which tens of thousands of people die of coronavirus. But in the end, the Italian response was much better than the British one and many other European countries too. And Italy does have a good healthcare system. Um, so I think that particularly like if we're talking about the 1990s and, and since this kind of idea of making Italy like a, a normal country, particularly in terms of the European integration process, is in fact a politics of austerity and uh, cutting public spending. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a language of, of waste, of inefficiency. Uh, and you know the need to to rein in uh, supposedly high public spending, and you know the effect of that is always to 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 put a squeeze on services uh, that people actually need. So I think that the 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 reason why um, the reason why this uh, sort of line of argument became so prominent uh, in the 1990s actually has a lot to do with the. Uh, the left's uh, search for a new identity after the end of the Italian Communist Party, uh, as a lot of the former leaders of that party uh, cut their links or historic links with the labor movement and instead became the uh, the champions of this kind of uh, uh, attempt to make Germany, sorry, attempt to make Italy uh, more like Germany or as a normal country, um, as they would put it. So, I mean, I think um, this, you know, Italy's entry into the European uh, project, or, or rather, sorry, the, uh, the acceleration of the integration process in the early 1990s coincided with the end of the Cold War, the end of the Communist Party, corruption scandals and the, uh, taking down the, the the Christian Democrats and socialists. So so this was a moment of profound overhaul and change in Italian politics 
And so this idea of a kind of top down liberal uh, revolution uh, had its moment. This is just something I was thinking of when you were replying to that, and that is you were talking about the kind of the stereotypes that Italy had of Germany and how it could be efficient and how it's modern. You write in your book, you start off by writing how uh, Italy looked towards Britain as being a normal country, uh, a land of efficient bus service, friendly locals offering up trays of teas and cakes. And then you were just talking about the stereotypes that others have of Italy and Boris Johnson deriding Italy for their response. How much is... How much is European politics dominated by stereotypes that countries have of one another? How much do those stereotypes dominate politics in the EU? Oh, well, I think a lot, because if you look at the, um, I mean, if you look recently in the European Union, there's been this uh, debate about uh, the recovery fund, which is, um, you know, uh, is the European Union going to bail out uh, the countries that are suffering most from economic crisis due to coronavirus, and does that mean um, higher taxes on uh, the wealthiest countries in order to to help the poorest, basically? Um, and now, as in the you know, as in the the crisis of uh, five or ten years ago with 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 Greece and so on, you have this endless recurrence of this idea, which is like. Uh, countries like Holland and Germany and Finland and Austria are like careful with their finances and don't waste money, whereas Southern Europeans are, you know, lazy and corrupt and waste money and like, you know, they're too busy at the beach rather than working. And like th- this is like leading figures in the European Union bureaucracy, you know, the head of the Eurogroup, uh, you know, like the 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 council of ministers that that controls the day-to-day function of the euro or like the prime minister of the netherlands uh you know leading papers in germany and so on so so that kind of <clears throat> that kind of very crude cultural stereotyping um is very visible um i mean one thing i'd also say though is that um so like i guess it's kind of like italians uh tend to have quite strongly the idea of you know, like in, you know, in, say, British political life, we wouldn't talk about what other countries think of us very much because we don't really care. Whereas I think like Italian uh, liberal press is like very sensitive to what um, what foreign media are saying about Italy. Um, but, you know, then again, I, I think they probably tend to exaggerate the extent to which uh, people in other European countries are, are thinking about Italy uh, at all. Um, so yeah, so I think this this kind of stereotype does have a certain weight, but 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 also it's like with with the with the idea of like Italians wanting to be like a a normal country to catch up and this kind of thing that that often uh, is associated with an extremely idealized uh, idea uh, of what those uh, other uh, so called models are, are actually like. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Kyle? You want to go to the bagel dumpster? Not right now, Jess. I'm kind of worried about Jamie in there. He doesn't seem himself. Oh, you mean he's not acting evil, paranoid, and kind of mean? Oh, no, I'm sure he's still all that. They they threw away my newspaper blankets this morning. Said it was a fire hazard or something, but... Nah, he, he looks real upset. Huh. Yeah. 
He does. Do you think somebody was nice to him and he can't handle it? Maybe we should ask him. Hey, Jamie, you okay in there? Oh, hey. Hey, guys. Hey, guys? Where's the snide remark about my light fingers or Kyle's heavy odor? Uh, not not today, guys. I'm, I'm just not in the mood. Something must be really wrong. This ain't like you. And it smells real ripe uh, on account of sleeping on that flooded part of the basement all week. Yeah, you, you have an odor. It's okay. O- okay, what is going on here? Well, the radio station keeps going on and off the air. It's really frustrating. It's the damn connection to the tower. Well, can't you fix it? Got $200,000? <sighs> it's the internet provider we use, that X Limitless. Oh, yeah, the easy, awesome one. Ha, huh, more like the one that always drops out. It just kills our signal. I think I can solve the problem, James. You? Kyle, last time you did anything with the internet, it ended up siphoning everyone's credit cards to Latvia. As seen memorably in Size Matters 74. Thank you, Jess. Now seriously, I know we can fix Ugh. this. Fine. I'm weak. Kyle, what's your idea? Undertown's internet. Uh, what with the who now? I got some guys down here in Undertown who got their own nuclear web thing. Hey, I don't understand it, but they get all the porn they need. Is it Undertown porn? Wait, don't don't answer that. Hey, you were the one that sent me all the links to the sandwiches. That's food porn. You know, never mind, Kyle. Sure. Have your mole men come by and talk to me. I've fallen that far. Dang, what the heck is that? That is a 30-meter Earth station. It looks like a giant satellite dish. Is the Copro's roof going to support that? Uh, you know, I hadn't thought of that. It's over Billy's place. If anything happens, I'm sure it'll be fine. What a tender heart you have. Yeah, but check this out. Kyle actually made good. Wow, clear as a bell. Yeah, even better. These guys are installing it for free. All I have to do is broadcast some crap in the overnight hours. Man, it's saving us thousands. Like infomercials? Are you allowed to do that? No, it's more like folk music and some avant-garde stuff. It's, it's not real different than what we actually do anyway. And if by God, Jess, if you tell them that... Hey, come on. You know I'd never yuck your yum. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. This is just taking a lot out of me. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Uh, when the radio goes down, you can't make the regular offerings to your Dark Lord and Master. Yeah, exactly. Wait, how did you know about that? Hey, Jameson, it looks like we're all set and locked in up here. I just got to give you the tape for the overnights. Kyle, listen to some of this stuff. It's it's kind of weird. Are you sure this is what they want? Yeah, that's what Igor tells me. Okay, hell with it. Kyle! Jess! What, the truck in? The guy gets some shut-eye around here? It's four in the afternoon, and I just got a visit from the FBI. Now, what does that stand for? Don't play dumb with me, Jess. Kyle's friend, Igor, was transmitting spy signals overnight on our air. All those goofy numbers was spy stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, the FBI was super pissed. Jeez, I'm sorry. I just wanted to keep the radio on the air. I guess I got to take all that stuff down now. Huh? I'll get the hand. Uh, well, mm, actually... No. Huh? Yeah, the FBI let us off the hook, as long as we broadcast some of their spy stuff. The FBI spies? Yeah, all the time. It's usually on people trying to find out why the cops shot their kid or grandma's protesting pollution, stuff like that. How patriotic. Oh, you know it. Gotta keep America safe. So everything worked out? That's unusual. Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, somebody's usually pretty badly injured by this point in the skit. Yeah, I mean, radio's on the air. The internet's better than ever. Yeah, I guess that's a win. Yeah, 
Well, I guess we better play the theme. Ooh, look at this. An email from a Russian gas company. We're wealthy with stock. Oh, all I gotta do is click this link. Jamie! I'll get the hammer. This week on the Trump Diaries, economic pressure grows on America. The Republican convention presents four days of fact-free diatribes. Trump weaponizes the government against his rivals. Kellyanne Conway quits. Kimberly Guilfoyle melts down. And sports halt as black athletes say they've had enough. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1310, August 21st. Joe Biden officially accepted the Democratic nomination for president. Calling this election a matter of life or death, Biden said he would fight against the darkness that has engulfed America. Biden pledged to bring competence and basic decency to the crises bedeviling the United States. More Americans filed for unemployment than expected with 1.2 million new claims. The news showed a recovery stalling and added more pressure on Senate Republicans to reach a compromise with House Democrats over a stimulus bill. The House passed a bill some three months ago. A federal judge rejected Trump's effort to block the Manhattan District Attorney from obtaining eight years of his tax returns. The judge dismissed arguments that Cyrus Vance's grand jury subpoena was, quote, wildly overbroad and issued in bad faith. The judge dismissed those arguments with prejudice. Trump told reporters subsequently, quote, we'll probably end up back in the Supreme Court. This is a continuation of the witch hunt, the greatest witch hunt in history. There's never been anything like it. Trump attacked President Obama in a hysterical all-caps tweet. He spied on my campaign and got caught. Why did he refuse to endorse Slow Joe until it was all over? And even then, it was very, very late. Why did he try to get him not to run? Obama, in fact, did not spy on Trump's campaign and has supported Joe Biden from the start. Trump then praised supporters of QAnon because, quote, they like me very much, which I appreciate. The FBI has said QAnon poses a domestic terror threat. Trump subsequently claimed he doesn't know much about QAnon, but said he's, quote, heard that it is gaining in popularity. I've heard these are people that love our country. When a reporter told Trump that the central premise of the QAnon theory is that Trump is saving the world from a satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals connected to the Democratic Party, Trump responded, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? If I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. Day 1311, August 22nd. The U.S. Post Office instructed its managers around the nation not to reconnect or reinstall any mail sorting machines they have already disconnected. Those instructions were sent shortly after Postmaster General Louis DeJoy said he was, quote, suspending his new policies to, quote, avoid even the appearance of any impact on election mail. Meanwhile, at a contentious congressional hearing, DeJoy testified that he is extremely highly confident that mail-in ballots sent seven days before Election Day will be properly processed and counted. DeJoy said the post office will continue to prioritize ballots over other mail, but urged the public to, quote, vote early. DeJoy then claimed he had never spoken to Trump about the post office and that he had never spoken to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin or White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. That appears to be false as DeJoy's testimony was undercut by a former top Postal Service official who testified the Trump administration has been politicizing the Postal Service and using it to inappropriately influence the organization. David Williams, the former Post Office Inspector General, said he resigned when it became clear to me the administration was politicizing the Post Office. More than 70 former national security officials called Trump unfit to lead. 
Those officials who served under Trump, George Bush, George W. Bush, and Ronald Reagan then endorsed Joe Biden. Trump's cabinet officials had a 2018 show of hands vote in the White House to move forward with separating migrant children from their families. None of the 11 officials in the meeting said separating families would be inhumane, and any moral argument fell on deaf ears. Trump ordered Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen to leave her post in D.C. and go to the border at least half a dozen times. Trump at one point told Nielsen to, quote, get your ass on TV at the border. What are you doing? What the hell are you doing? And Trump asked his staff where the United States could trade Greenland for Puerto Rico because, in Trump's words, Puerto Rico is dirty and the people are poor. Day 1312, August 23rd. Trump said at a conference, quote, I'm the only thing standing between the American dream and total anarchy, madness, and chaos. At a gathering of the Council for National Policy in Arlington, Texas, Trump then called the Democratic National Convention the darkest and angriest and gloomiest in the country's history, saying, quote, where Joe Biden sees American darkness, I see American greatness. Trump then claimed that voting by mail is filthy. It's a disgrace and would lead to the greatest catastrophe ever. Trump personally votes by mail. He then claimed violent mobs were overtaking U.S. cities and said of Obama, quote, you can't be a great president when much of what he's done, we've undone. Trump then pledged to send sheriffs, law enforcement, and U.S. attorneys to polling locations to guard against voter fraud on Election Day. When he was asked by Fox News host Sean Hannity if he was going to have, quote, an ability to monitor and avoid fraud, Trump replied, we're going to have everything. Mail-in voting will be a tremendous embarrassment for our country. It will go on forever, and you'll never know who won. This is a very serious problem, and something has to be done about it. They all think I'm trying to steal the election. I want fair results. Meanwhile, Trump's campaign failed to provide evidence of election fraud involving mail-in ballots as they had been ordered to do by a federal court judge. They had made those claims about fraud in Pennsylvania's vote-by-mail system. The Trump re-election effort now has spent more than $1 billion. That is a record-breaking sum. And Facebook is preparing should Trump wrongly claim he won another four-year term. Facebook is working how it might act if Trump tries to invalidate the results by declaring the Postal Service lost mail-in ballots or that other groups meddled with the vote. Among the options are a, quote, kill switch on all Facebook content. Day 1313, August 24th. Trump accused the FDA of deliberately delaying vaccine trials until after the election, claiming, quote, the deep state or whoever over at the FDA is making it very difficult for drug companies to get people in order to test the vaccines and therapeutics. This claim apparently stemmed from White House trade advisor Peter Navarro, who privately accused the FDA of being part of a deep state during a meeting that was supposed to be about COVID-19 and the strategic national stockpile. The bizarre claim unsettled Washington as the FDA is, of course, the first line in the fight against the pandemic. Following that tweet, the FDA authorized the emergency use of blood plasma for the treatment of patients with COVID-19. That treatment, while promising, has not undergone randomized or rigorous clinical trials. Reports say Trump has told Congress he will give emergency approval to a vaccine before the end of phase three clinical trials. That could be in the U.S. as early as late September. The move would be highly unusual and suggests a political release of a potentially unsafe or ineffective vaccine. The Republicans formally nominated Trump for a second term in the White House as the GOP convention opened. Trump is now planning to speak every night of the convention. 
Trump has sought to minimize the toll of the pandemic, but just 336 delegates participated in a roll call vote from the Charlotte Convention Center ballroom. Jerry Falwell Jr., one of the most prominent evangelical supporters of Trump, suddenly resigned from Liberty University. Falwell had been on leave since August 7th after he posted a photo to Instagram with his pants unzipped and his arm around a woman who was not his wife. In an escalating fight, New York's Attorney General asked a judge to order Eric Trump to testify under oath about four Trump properties. Eric Trump and the Trump Organization have been hit with seven subpoenas related to that investigation, one of which apparently involves massive fraud and tax avoidance. New York State is claiming Trump and his businesses have routinely inflated assets on financial statements. And in an unhinged speech at top volume, Trump fundraiser Kimberly Guilfoyle paid homage to her mother from, quote, Aquadilla, Puerto Rico, and her father, also an immigrant, during the RNC. Neither member of her family are immigrants. Puerto Ricans are actually natural-born American citizens. Guilfoyle then ended her speech by echoing the gestures in the musical Evita. Louis DeJoy, who remains under scrutiny, claimed, quote, I am not engaged in sabotaging the election. As DeJoy's testimony continued, Trump tweeted baseless accusations that mail-in voting would be used to rig the November election against him. DeJoy refused to agree to restore mail sorting machines that had been removed from use, but acknowledged that a, quote, deterioration in service had occurred. Meanwhile, the House passed a $25 billion bill for emergency postal service funding. The Senate said it will not vote on it. Trump has said he will veto it. Twitter has flagged a tweet that mail drop boxes are a, quote, voter security disaster and not COVID sanitized, labeling it, quote, a misleading health claim that could potentially dissuade people from participation in voting. Trump made that tweet. Trump's re-election campaign has paid private companies at least $2.3 million for rent, food, lodging, and other expenses. Trump, reportedly the richest president in American history, has yet to donate to his own campaign. And Kellyanne Conway, one of Trump's longest-serving advisors, said she was quitting. Conway has been repeatedly attacked by her own family. Husband George leads a large group of never-Trump Republicans. Her own daughter Claudia has recently posted on social media she is seeking emancipation from her mother due to her insupportable work for Trump. Day 1314, August 25th. Violence flared in Kenosha, Wisconsin after a black man was shot seven times in the back by police officers. Protesters swarmed the streets in that city, fires were set, and cars were burned. Police responded by using rubber bullets and tear gas on the protesters. Those protests were the latest in a long, hot summer that has seen violence against people of color spike. There have been at least 20 other shootings of black men and women by police since George Floyd's death. Trump has been adamantly against police reform, instead constantly tweeting in all caps, LAW AND ORDER. The FDA, quote, grossly misrepresented data about the use of blood plasma therapy to treat coronavirus patients following their sudden approval for that process. Trump's staff publicly claimed it reduced deaths by 35% this year. In fact, it appears to reduce fatalities by 3%. FDA head Stephen Hahn pushed back against Trump's claim that the, quote, deep state is deliberately stalling vaccine development. Quote, I have not seen anything that I would consider to be the deep state at the FDA. Hahn added he is, quote, very comfortable with Trump, and I continue to feel comfortable with that relationship. 
New York and New Jersey sued both Trump and Postmaster General Louis DeJoy over changes to postal service operations. The lawsuit seeks an injunction to vacate recent changes, including the removal of mailboxes and mail sorting machines and the curtailing of overtime. 21 states in total have said they will sue or are planning to sue DeJoy and the Postal Service. Trump will nominate Chad Wolf to be the permanent Senate-confirmed Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Wolf has been the acting secretary since November 2019. However, a recent Government Accountability Office report found that Wolf's appointment is illegal. And Melania Trump told the RNC, quote, Total honesty is what we as citizens deserve from our president. Trump has told well over 20,000 lies and counting, according to a count kept by the Washington Post. Day 1,315, August 26th. The CDC abruptly changed its COVID-19 testing guidance to exclude people without symptoms who have been exposed to COVID-19. The new guidance was introduced without an announcement. Instead, the CD website was quietly updated. The new guidance was apparently made under pressure from Trump. In a related story, Trump threatened to withhold Medicare and Medicaid funding from hospitals if they don't report COVID-19 data to the Department of Health and Human Services instead of the CDC. Trump, seeking extreme action to stop migrants, suggested deploying a microwave weapon. A heat ray designed by the military that makes people's skin feel like it is burning. The active denial system does exist. It had also been largely abandoned over doubts over its effectiveness and morality. But two former officials who attended a meeting where the weapon came up said the suggestion the device be installed at the border shocked other attendees, but would have been embraced by Trump. American intelligence said there is no information or intelligence that foreign countries, including Russia, are engaged, quote, in any kind of activity to undermine any part of mail-in voting. Attorney General William Barr has repeatedly claimed that, quote, Iran, China, and North Korea are seeking to interfere with mail-in voting without specifying how. Three Trump-supporting Republicans, those are Ted Cruz of Texas, Tom Cotton of Arkansas, and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, threatened, quote, crushing legal and economic sanctions against the port city of a close European ally. The three threatened a German port vowing to economically destroy it and the town and the region unless the port ceased support for the construction of a gas pipeline between Russia and Germany. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo addressed the Republican National Convention from a rooftop in journalism where he was on a government-paid diplomatic mission. No sitting Secretary of State had addressed a national political convention in at least 75 years. State Department employees are expressly told to avoid political activity and not to attend political conventions. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows dismissed accusations that the Trump administration was shredding the Hatch Act, saying, quote, nobody outside of the Beltway really cares. Day 1316, August 27th. A white 17-year-old self-described as a supporter of Trump and Blue Lives Matter has been arrested and charged with murder after two people were killed and another seriously wounded by gunfire in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Footage of Kyle Rittenhouse carrying what appears to be an AK-47 in Kenosha streets was found along with footage that appears to show the Kenosha Sheriff's Department coordinating with armed militants against the protesters there. Rittenhouse was part of that group. Also. All NBA playoff games scheduled were abruptly postponed in the wake of the protests following the shooting of Jacob Blake. The NBA said all three games would be rescheduled but did not say when. Those reverberations quickly moved into baseball, the WNBA, and Major League Soccer. It was the strongest statement yet against racial injustice. 
Trump has yet to address police shooting of Blake. He has, however, tweeted that, quote, he will not stand for looting, arson, violence, and lawlessness on America's street. New York's Attorney General is now investigating if Trump failed to pay taxes on a $100 million loan related to the Trump Hotel and Tower in Chicago. According to a court filing, Trump's lender on a high-interest $150 million loan on that property made a deal to accept a $48 million payoff. That, in essence, means they forgave more than $102 million in debt. In addition to the Chicago Tower, the Attorney General is seeking records on a Westchester County golf course, a 40 Wall Street Tower in Manhattan, and another Trump golf course in Los Angeles. Former lawyer Michael Cohen is alleged his former employer has a long-standing practice of grossly undervaluing properties for tax purposes and then grossly overvaluing them when seeking to borrow money. The Republican National Convention continued its playlist of false claims and smears. Vice President Mike Pence falsely claimed Joe Biden would defund the police and ban fossil fuels. He also claimed that Biden has said not one word about the protests in Kenosha. In fact, he has. Trump, however, has not. Kellyanne Conway also claimed that Trump is a saintly feminist. This came on a day when writer E. Jean Carroll, who has accused Trump of rape and is suing him for defamation, began publishing a series about the 43 women, quote, who have come forward to accuse Trump of ogling, grabbing, groping, mauling, or raping them. A speaker at the RNC, Marianne Mendoza, promoted an anti-Semitic and QAnon conspiracy theory on Twitter before her speech. She claimed that Jewish forces in the banking industry are out to enslave the world. 57% of Republicans consider the more than 180,000 coronavirus deaths in the United States acceptable. 73% of Republicans say things are going well when it comes to the way the U.S. has handled the pandemic. 75% of Republicans say the country is better off today than it was four years ago. Just 31% of Americans overall approve of Trump's handling of the pandemic. These are the Trump Diaries.
say that your hand shall never touch mine that a poor boy can hold for a woman so fine but I'll work till I fall yeah I'm determined to win cause I'm driven by When I get my rewards, I will bring them to you. I will ask for your love. I swear mine is true. Will you cast me aside? Will you see me no more? Or can I win your Can I win your heart? When I get my rewards, oh, can I win your heart? When I get my rewards. Music this week has been provided by many of the artists who will be appearing virtually at this year's A Day in the Country Festival, curated by Sir Lawrence Peters. Artists include Big Sadie, John Langford, Wildwood Flowers, Nathan Graham, and Michelle Billingsley. More information is at hideoutchicago.com. This is A-W-C-Y-F-M. Rowan, what you're describing is, is sort of like... I was thinking, actually thinking about this uh, uh, recently. As you know, I'm a media disruption developer, so I have, I have to think about media a lot and its place in society and in all of our lives. And if you think about it, what you went on was uh, sort of a, a spiritual hero's journey, which, which is one of the first, if you might call it, one of the first algorithms um, that was ever developed. I mean, if you, if you think about it, the hero's journey is all about... Uh, modular thinking, sort of like a lot of code is. It's uh, it's class based. It is uh, uh, it fits in in boxes and it goes from one point to another point, doing different, uh, carrying out different tasks in each. Um, in, in reality, I mean, we've been people for as long as we've been storytellers. I think we've been coders. Don't you agree? I. Don't know if I agree entirely because there's a saying um, in uh, – I forget, for, perhaps from Lao Tzu or Confucius who said, if you meet your hero on the road, kill him. I believe it is a, a Zen koan perhaps. Mm. And to that end, that is why I, I, don't, I don't necessarily like the ideas of heroes. But uh, to, to find some common ground, I would agree that the original programs, the, these, the original – uh, algorithms, if you will, definitely do come from a place of of myths and legends. It, it, it is there is numerous studies involving things like the Kabbalah, where you look at these ancient uh, texts, these ancient mythological or religious texts, and by assigning various numbers to them and cal- doing calculations. Uh, th- this practice of numerology, there there are programs that can be that can be found. As a matter of fact, 
I believe it was the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. where uh, through a series of substitutions and uh, sort of programming and what have you, uh, within the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. there is a code when translated to Fortran that will say hello world. Um, so the, 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 the link yeah. between... In fact, this is, it's, it's more common than you think. So many of these ancient myths in reality were these hello world statements. It's what we found from a variety of, uh, of very particular culturally relevant algorithms. I, I liken it to, I actually liken it to the, uh, there's sort of like, think of it as Homer's The Odyssey. Uh, Homer's The Odyssey was sort of the original open source uh, program where, if you think about it, Homer downloaded all this code about, you know, Agamemnon and, you know, horses and Greek gods and added his own. It, it's really, ag- I mean, Homer was the original open source coder, if, if you think about it. Broadcast every Saturday, 8 to 9 p.m. The Lump and Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.